authors like you and I who work full-time and this isn't a side hustle for us. It is our career and in most of our cases, we're also managing the the big financial share of the family. And the idea of is it possible to be able to do that on that really pragmatic, financially viable level and also maintain that kind of the art and the creativity and the love? And I think the answer is yes. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hi everyone, it's Pam here and it's Friday, November 25 as I'm recording this and putting this current episode out into the world. How can it actually be November 25? I have no idea. I'm actually (laughs) in full recovery this week from my daughter's wedding, which took place last weekend. And some of you might have seen some pics on Insta, which I, you know, did share a little bit of wedding spam. The wedding was amazing. It was beautiful. It was everything that she and the rest of the family wanted it to be. The weather was perfect. And as I said, you will find some pics on my Insta, Pamela Cook writes on Insta and on my Facebook page. And um, probably also on my daughter's TikTok page, uh, where I have to say her recording of her now husband's Kath and Kel themed wedding vows um, are actually going viral on TikTok. I might even put a link for that at the end of the the show notes because they are quite funny. But anyway, other than uh, that sort of recovery and wedding news, a few other things I wanted to tell you about before we get into this week's episode. I do have a newsletter, very overdue newsletter coming out, uh, which will have some giveaways in it. I'm I'm hoping I'll actually get two newsletters out between now and Christmas because I do have some fabulous books to give away. So watch out for that in the coming weeks. You can actually subscribe to the newsletter at rightsforwomen.com or at pamelacook.com.au and there are always freebies and giveaways in my monthly newsletters which has writing news, what I'm reading, podcast news and reading recommendations and just news in general. Hopefully you can sign up for that if you haven't done so yet. Also still catching up on Patreon uh, bonuses, which I'm gradually filtering out to the Patreon supporters. Shout out to all the fantastic Rights for Women Patreon supporters. And I hope you're enjoying those bonuses as they do get into your inboxes. In uh, podcast guest host news, uh, hopefully you caught the recent episode with Joe Riccioni chatting to Stacey McEwen about her new release, Ledge. We have today Rachel Johns, who's becoming quite a regular on Rights for Women, which is fantastic. And uh, she's chatting to Sally Hepworth, so two amazing best-selling authors on the Convo Couch. And coming up in future months, we have Meredith Jaffe chatting to Inga Simpson about her novel Willow, and that's a great craft of writing episode. And Joanna Nell is going to be chatting to Fiona Robertson about writing short stories So Fiona has a fabulous collection of short stories called If You're Happy, which have been getting fantastic reviews and critical acclaim, and it will be great to have some info on there about how to write the short story. I'm actually going to be chatting to Anita Heiss next week, which I'm really excited about her body of work, and that's going to be really a heart of writing episode. And there's going to be a few other authors in the lineup over the coming months and uh, hopefully a couple of big international authors we have been chasing will be on the Convo Couch as well. Starting on the 1st of December, I'm going to be releasing the 12 days of Christmas book recommendations uh, from our guest hosts coming up and also from my writing group, The Inkwell. So watch out for that in your feed and on socials as some authors get on there and give book recommendations, what they've loved reading this year, what they recommend for holiday reading and what they would be will be giving as gifts and maybe even receiving as gifts this Christmas. In my book news, I'm getting back into some serious writing next week now that all the 
show is over. I do have some news which I'm hoping to share very soon with you, writing related, but I'll keep my lips buttoned for now. And I'm currently working on a novella and then getting back to my sequel to Blackwater Lake, which is has a working title of Out of the Ashes. So I'm really fully getting back into that writing next week now that things are calming down a little. In the teaching area, I'm also getting on to getting an online course up and running. So that will be out hopefully in the new year and planning a retreat. So watch this space. Now on to today's episode. Our guest host today is someone who doesn't really need an introduction to Rights for Women because she's becoming quite the regular. It's Rachel Johns. Australian best-selling author of rural romance and women's fiction and Rachel has a book very currently out called The Workwives which she talks about in this interview with Sally and it's really great to listen to the two of them talk about their writing processes, what's similar, what's different. They're both very experienced authors and it's really great to be sitting and eavesdropping. Actually I so enjoyed editing this episode. Sally Hepworth also needs no introduction but In case you haven't heard of Sally, she is a New York Times bestselling author of books like The Mother-in-Law, The Good Sister, and The Secret of Midwives, and her very current book, The Soulmate. Sally's novels are available around the globe in English and have been translated into 20 languages, and she has sold more than one million books worldwide. She lives in Melbourne with her husband and three adorable children and if you haven't caught Sally's Instagram, she has some really hysterical stuff on there and definitely worth following and also some great writing tips which she always shares on Insta as well. So in this chat between Rachel and Sally, they cover everything from their inspirations for their latest novels to their writing and editing processes, pet peeves about the publishing industry, nothing too dramatic so that's good what to do about bad reviews, their favourite writing snacks and a whole lot more. Grab a cuppa, sit back and join Rachel Johns and Sally Hepworth on the Rights for Women Convo Couch. Hi everyone and welcome to Rights for Women. I'm Rachel Johns, I should say that firstly. I'm an author of rural romance and women's fiction and I'm a guest host now on Rights for Women, which is super exciting. And I'm here today with one of my most famous friends, the incomparable Sally Hepworth. Thank you for joining us, Sally. Oh, it's so good to be here. Less of the famous stuff. <laughs> Come on, you are you are super famous. But not only that's not what we, that's not what we need to talk about. We're here to talk about your amazing books, which is why you're famous. But your New York Times because of the wigs and your toast. Uh, like, okay, anyone who isn't following Sally on Instagram, where have you been? Like, you mustn't be on Instagram. I think. <laughs> what have you had? You've had Kettlegate, Towelgate, yep. and then yes. you. Do we call it wig gate or is that just okay? Wig gate. <laughs> but basically, Sally is the best entertainment on Instagram. So yeah, go and check out her Instagram if you're not. If you're not, I really you mustn't be on Instagram or <laughs> if you're not following. But yeah, Sally is the New York Times best-selling author of eight books. Am I right? Yeah. Yep. Cool. That's right. And the next one comes out. I actually don't know when this will be uploaded but I'm guessing it's probably going to be published uploaded or whatever in the next couple of weeks so I'm thinking by the time you hear this Sally's new book The Soulmate will be out in Australia and New Zealand but it's not yeah. out for the rest of the world till next year is that right? Till April yeah April so you have this really quite long promotion period. I know but it doesn't go for the whole time like it, it goes for right. two weeks now and then it stops and then it starts again I just was sent a message from someone on Instagram telling telling me they were coming to my event in Cleveland in oh. April, and I thought, oh gee, I didn't know. Wow, <laughs> was told me that I'm that be the in first Cle- time you knew you were going to be in Cleveland? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I haven't even spoken about next year's tour yet, but well, isn't is. that the way we find out about everything these days? Social media, in general. <laughs> it is. <yeah. laughs> like it used to be in small towns, and everyone else knew everything about you before you did. And now it's yeah. the internet knows what's going on in your life before you do. It's a convenient way to find out. Yeah. And it might be weeks before my publisher tells me. Yes, exciting. I wish I was going to Cleveland and I'm sure you're going to some other exciting places as well. So today we're going to, I should also say, I was before I got myself on off track, I was going to say, as well as being the author of the New York Times bestselling author of eight wonderful novels, these are some other people you may have heard of, some things they've said about Sally. Jane Harper. She calls Sally's books compulsive, 
Leanne Mari- Moriarty, I'm very jealous of this quote, says Sally is one of her favourite Australian writers. Wow. And she, if that's not enough, Kate Morton called her book Unputdownable. So Sally lives in Melbourne with her husband and three gorgeous children who are also all equally en- in- entertaining on Instagram. You get the whole package with Sally. <laughs> they get it from me. We're wow. very good at doing everything we're not supposed to be. <laughs> oh, I think, why stop? You're doing great, great. And you, who says you're not supposed to be? Like, seriously, who says right. what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing? So today, because Sally has a book out called The Soulmate in the next week, and I have a new book out called The Workwives in a couple of the week after, we thought today we would, this is a, a heart, no, a craft of writing episode. And so Sally and I have known each other for a few years now, and we are quite different writers, not just in what we write. I write, I guess, more often my has more romantic elements and not as many thrillerish elements as Sally. Would you say that's an apt description, Sally? Or how would we? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of crossover, I would say. Yeah, they I both focus so on women yeah. and relationships. Yep. But I think probably a little bit more death in my books. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If your, your deaths are more um, sinister deaths, maybe if there's any deaths in my book, they're not quite yeah. so sinister. Natural yeah. causes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's a good <laughs> I love it. But aside from like the genre, we, you, as writers, we always hear plotting versus pantsing. And I'm sure you agree with me, Sally, if you don't, I'm just saying you do. Nah, that we're all on the spectrum somewhere. No one is completely a plotter and complete outliner and no one real. I, I don't think anyone who does this professionally as for a job can just sit down and completely start something one day and have no idea what they're doing. Would you agree? I hope so. Imagine that. Yeah. I've never heard anyone say that. And I, if they did, I don't think I'd believe them. But Or we wouldn't like them if they like men. Yeah. Yeah. But so I would say I probably identify more on the pantsing end of the spectrum. And Sally, where mm. do you say, think you would fit? It's been such an evolution. That's Certainly true. historically I'm a plotter. Mm. And, and that was how I taught myself to write. And that's how, in fact, a few years ago when you and I went on tour together doing some events in WA and I think yeah. we did some in Melbourne, it was almost a comedy act because yes. you would talk about about how you just went with a wing and a prayer and I was over here plotting out every scene and it was... One a- draft and you had multiple. <laughs> One draft. I'll, I've never been able to figure out how you do that. But I still, while I do plot... It hasn't helped me very much because I it's still end up writing so I many drafts that it's easier. Like I think, yeah. or, or maybe where it's always like a grass is greener thing. Because I think, oh, I wish I could plot my books and outline a little bit more. Because surely then it would be not so scary, and I'd know where I'm going. But nothing's easy, is it? That's the. You don't plot, and you write one draft, and I plot, and I write a hundred. So who's working smarter? You tell me. I don't know. I think it's just the thing is, no, everyone's different, aren't we? And when I say, I think I'm like you. It's interesting. I think I've learned more about my process in the last few years, and I've started to think about it more. And although I would identify most more towards a plot a pantser. I microplot as I go mm. and I do something which I learnt about in a book. I think it was, oh, my gosh, I can't remember. My mind is gone. I'll try and remember so that Pam can put it in the show notes. But a book, I think it's James Scott Bell, actually. He talks about looping and that you write 500 words and then then edit them. And I, while I don't do that, and we, we'll get you a jumping ahead, but <laughs> so we'll get to process and pantsing Sorry. the No, that's my fault because it's just so interesting. I love talking about different ways people write and stuff. And I feel like I have learned more myself in the last few years about what I do. So, yeah, we'll get to that. But let's start with the seed of inspiration for your latest book. Oh, no, sorry, I've jumped ahead. Tell us about The Soulmate. (laughs) Pitch us the book. I've already read it. So, you know, I know why I should read it. But (laughs) So The Soulmate. As I guess anyone who's read any of my books know, I write about family dysfunctionality. It's my favourite thing to write about and I've written about mothers-in-law and sisters and neighbours and younger wives and this time I decided to write about the most dysfunctional relationship of all, which is marriage. Very true. And this book takes place in a cottage on a cliff 
And the couple that live there moved before they realised that the cliff that their house is perched on is a place that's very popular with people who want to go and end their lives. Mm -hmm. And when they discover this, they also discover that Gabe, who is the, the husband, has got a bit of a gift for talking people down from the ledge, as it were. Yeah, fascinating. In the year that they have been there, seven people have come to the ledge and all seven have been talked down by Gabe. And at the very beginning of the book, a woman comes to the cliff and she's the number eight, the eighth one to come, and it starts out as normal and they look, they see her out the window, Gabe goes out, he starts talking to her. But as his wife, Pip, watches them, she starts to notice that he's behaving a little differently and he's a lot more animated than usual and he's going a little bit closer to her than he usually does. And it almost looks like they're having an argument. Mm. And it is forced to look away for a moment. And when she looks back, she notices that Gabe's hands are outstretched with palms are facing up and it looks almost like he might have pushed her. And from there, we go forward. He says that it was an accident and that she jumped. She's not sure about what she saw. And we move forward and we start to discover what actually happened that night on the cliff. A killer first chapter. Like I just think it's one of the best first chapters I've ever read. It gripped you in immediately. Oh. And such that moral dilemma as, as to do you believe your husband who you love or do you believe yourself and what your gut is telling you about what you maybe saw? I think it's really fascinating and it's such a great opening. So we'll get to how I've got so many more questions for you. I should We should just be talking about your book really because I've got, I want to know everything. But I'll just quickly give a spiel. Room for both. <laughs> which is out just the week after Sally's. And The Workwives is about two women who are as different as Schitt's Creek and Downton Abbey. And they both work at an energy drink company in Sydney. One, Quinn is young and she's in her 20s and she's addicted to dating apps and she is in digital media. She loves dressing bright colours and fun things. And then we've got Deb. Oh, she's desperate to find the one. And then we've got Deb who is in her early 40s and she has sworn off men when she had her daughter 15 years ago. So she's a single mum. She wears black all the time. She would rather fly under the radar and not be seen. And she works in accounting, quite different sort of roles, but they have become best friends through work. And then um, a new guy arrives at the office who they both have a history with and that kind of pour, throws a bit of a spanner in the works of their friendship. As with your book, it's kind of hard to talk about. <laughs> Hopefully that's book deliveries. <laughs> um, yeah, clothes or earrings, hey? <laughs> Although I've been trying well, to restrain not bills. <laughs> yeah, what's that? You not bills. Like for the postman doesn't ring the bell when the bills come. Yeah, so it's hard to talk about both books without spoilers, I, I think. But we're gonna we're gonna do our best to get into the nitty gritty of, of the inspiration and how we wrote the book. Sally, do you want to tell us? That is such a I, when I read your blurb first before I'd read the book, I just thought, how come I can never think of such a cool idea like that? Like it's just I don't know if you find like when Leanne Moriarty, I read The Husband's Secret. I'm thinking such a clever idea about you finding a letter from a loved one and then being told not to open it. But I never, I never thought of that. Why did I think of that? And the same in some ways with your book, I think as soon as you hear some, I guess that's high concept when you hear an idea and you think, wow, that's so great. Why didn't I think of it? Cause it's actually kind of not obvious, obvious. but you know, wow, that's a really good story. Surely. Yeah. Where did the inspiration for this come from? Well, the first seat of the Well, before I say that, I was going to say the same with the work wives. In fact, I remember it may or may not have been the first time I heard that you might have even put the title up on <laughs> social media to say, hey, what does everyone think about this title? And and I know you often start with titles, yeah, don't you? I think I did with this an one, amazing yeah. title and that almost feeds the book in a way. I think it's Yeah, I think if you've got a good title, like it can help you write the book kind of thing. Yeah. And I haven't read because a work wife is such a such a concept that people are familiar yeah. with and I haven't read it. I know. Finally, it. I was like, yes, there's finally I've done something that maybe someone hasn't done. And then last in July this year, yeah. a book came out called The Work Wife. But, Which, hey, it's, it's totally different and that's the thing, isn't it? We can write yeah. something that sounds similar but they're always, there's no idea that's the same and there's no idea that's original in some ways. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. It is. And, yeah. and yeah. Okay. Well, let me tell you. So the inspiration for 
the soulmate came from two places. The first one was in large part inspired by the lockdown and actually probably if I could pinpoint the moment and for people listening, I am from Melbourne, which I think was probably the, worst the longest lockdown, lockdown in the world yeah. or there was some sort of stats like that. Yeah. And it was about, I don't know, 60 days into the lockdown in Melbourne. It was winter. I had two children being homeschooled. I had a preschool age child who had taken to running around the house <laughs> in the nude with um, permanent markers <laughs> and, and finding new places. And lipstick, yeah, finding new places to draw on the walls. And it was about 10 to 9, that glorious time when all of the kids realise they need their logins to get into their Uh, homeschool kind of thing and some project that they haven't done becomes immediately urgent and Clementine. (laughs) I notice that my Sharpies are missing and I, I look out the window and I see Christian walk past with the lawnmower and he's mowing the lawn. And I thought to myself, I am going to write a book about marriage and murder. (laughs) (laughs) Did you want to kill him when he was mowing the lawn, not inside? Oh, indeed I did, yeah. And I would find a very imaginative way to murder him. (laughs) So I went, I remember taking my phone and going into the pantry so I could hide (laughs) and I opened up a WhatsApp group with all my oldest girlfriends and I wrote, is anyone else fantasizing about killing their husbands <laughs> and and you know what those whatsapp groups are like they're patchy and was 10 to 9 like everyone would have been scrambling to get everything done and it was full attendance within <laughs> seconds people writing their stories about the different ways in which they wanted to kill their husbands and I, <laughs> I said I'm thinking about writing a book about it um and it was it was full marks so everyone yeah. wanted the book and I thought good this is what I'm going to write and so at the same time because obviously an idea or a moment like that does not a book make but my antennae went up for something yeah yeah and it was around then that I read a news article which it was about a man in Sydney, but it made it all the way around the world, this story. And the man lived in a place in Sydney opposite a place called The Gap, which oh, yeah. is a place where people in real life go to take mm-hmm. their own lives. And this man had made his name, amongst other yeah. things, but a name for being Cliff Whisperer. And they wow. called him the Angel of the Gap for all of mm-hmm. the ways that the lives that he'd saved and I read that article and it obviously you can see because I told you about the plot how that meshed together with the story about marriage and having um, read I saw- it I think it's yeah it's very clever the way you put <laughs> it together but yeah and all the possibilities that it, it leaves you for who could be lying and yeah and who, what could you get away with in that scenario if mm. you had a grudge or and then certainly back to that in marriage how do we lie to our, ourselves yeah. about what we think and feel? And sometimes we lie to ourselves for survival. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they were the two kind of elements that came together. Well, I just want to ask you a quick question first because there's a lot of issues in this book in terms of you've got obviously the suicide issue, you've got marriage is an issue in itself. There's other issues such as mental health. So I'm trying to, it was now a month or so ago since I read the book, but I'm sure I'm missing some other things. Anyway, what I was going to say is I ask this question a lot, so I'm always curious, and I think it changes Mm -hmm. me from book to book. Do you, obviously then you read that story, you can't, you have to have an issue. Suicide has to be an issue if you're going to deal with that. But what about like the other issues, not just the marriage and the suicide, but the other sort of issues that came, did they, did you know all about that before you started writing and how did you decide what other issues? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. As you say, it, it started with those two things. So I knew marriage and I knew suicide because it really was inspired by that article. And then it really became a question of what's going to happen what's going to be the mystery to solve, essentially. And then when I came up with that, you start asking the why. If this is what the the suspense part is, why would someone do that? And and I start to, this comes back to the plotting and pantsing, I start working it out in my head. So even if I wasn't the type to plot it and write it all down, you need to figure out if what your idea is plausible. Is there a reason? 
you've said it better than me, but you, we all have to pants at a certain stage because that initial yeah. sort of thinking is pantsing really and just working yeah. out what well, I'm going to work, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. No. And then we all have to plot at some stage because we all have to put it in an order, whether you do that on the page or in our head. Yeah. It's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. And the different areas and different things that came up, there was ADHD and bipolar yeah, I touched that's on. That's right. In- I knew that. <laughs> I was yeah, trying to think yeah. What the other things were. Yeah. And I tend to try and focus on things that have touched my life, yeah. either personally or through perhaps a close friend or maybe a close friend of mine has a family member. Because, of course, and, from and, the murder? Yeah, I've got a few friends that have murdered their husbands, so I was able to get a real touch and go. Luckily, all of the husbands survived the lockdown. I had to write in my acknowledgements <laughs> that no husbands were hurt and harmed yeah. the writing of this book That's but so and, and all my friends are still married but that may have been because of the whatsapp group yeah. but um yeah, I, I do try to if i can address topics that i have got some sort of real experience yeah. with it's not always the case as you know I've, this is my eighth book ninth if we include the one that i'm writing now i haven't had that much experience with that many things so sometimes you, have, you, have you to- didn't need a lot of therapy if you'd experienced all of this <laughs> in your book <laughs> Oh my God. And I do have therapy probably because of that. And I have ADHD myself. Bipolar is something that has affected one of my very best friend's brother. And on top of that, I read a lot of books and spoke yeah. to a lot of people. But uh, I that think was... that's what makes these books so in- gripping. It's not just the plot, which is twisty, and it's that you can relate and they are important issues as well. I think I, I know coming from a romance writing background, people often are quick to write off that there's no depth in romance. It's all just light and fluffy. And I think people maybe sometimes think that about crimes or thrillers or domestic as well, because the crime is what people like you first hear about. But I think the best books and most books, um, whatever the genre, they do explore. And that's why, that's what you relate to in them. It's the people and it's the issues that they've gone through because not necessarily the sort of the romance or the crime part. And I would argue that romance and crime as a genre if they don't go into dynamic relationships with really important subject matters as motivation then you know they don't work and then what's the point in reading them i know and that's i think about it's a misconception that books don't actually go into depth about other things because that's what you know anyway we won't get into that discussion too much so the work wives as you mentioned the title is was actually the first thing that came to me because i was doing a podcast with uh, i think brand new magazine and the interviewer just happened to say it was a friday afternoon and she just happened to say Oh, I'm can't, I'm really looking forward to din- drinks with my work wives tonight because you know this the podcast was something else she did as well, and I just suddenly thought. I mean, I'd heard like you the concept work wives. I've heard it lots before, but other conversations I'd been having at the time about titles with a couple of author friends and ones that kind of worked. I'd also recently read a book the best or bits of it, because I never read fully these craft books, but it wasn't the writing craft exactly, but the bestseller code. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's these, these people. It's kind of, it's interesting in terms of it's a group, it's some scientists who have somehow worked out that all best-selling books have certain, it's an algorithm type thing. They've put JK Rowling and Stephen King and Danielle Steele and Nicholas Sparks and that. And one of the sections is about titles. And so your titles say tick their boxes amazingly, like the mother-in-law, the younger wife, the good sister and it's three words often is is one of the best things and then certain buzzwords obviously and the in the beginning actually go go figure so you've done it you know whether your publisher helped you with this or but it's fascinating so i don't need to read it then (laughs) probably not you don't need to that's the most important part and you're already doing it and so i just remember thinking oh the work wives would be a great title and i just said it as a flyaway thing and then i thought about it more and like i'd been thinking about an other idea for a while i don't know if you've got any of these like ideas that I would like to write or they're not quite there and they just I don't know if I ever will but I was thinking oh what am I going to do nothing then this idea just was like literally those that words and I thought well I need people who work together and what's the thing and it just all came from there but there's other things that I was interested in I'd like you I'd seen an article about addiction to dating apps and how the swiping Mm. left or right was actually similar to pokey machines in that you just one more to see if I might actually meet the love of my life on the next one or that whole thing about I'll go out with this guy but what if the next guy was even even better so it's like they couldn't actually commit I'm so glad they didn't dating apps I know 
<laughs> Do you reckon you would have been like that? No, no. What if oh. the kids better? <laughs> Keep on swiping. Yeah, exactly. And so I thought that was really fascinating. And I'd also read an article about a 1950s article about how to find a husband and the total differences in that, which was like things like set up a painting easel outside an engineering school or cry in the corner of them. Someone was so funny. So, yeah, like you, then they started piecing together the different things and the characters came from there. Let's talk a little bit about how you write a book. Once you've got those initial seeds and ideas, how do you actually do it? I know it's a hard, that's a weird question to ask, but yeah, what's your process? No, it's a great question to ask. And I was just talking recently about the fact someone was running a writer's retreat or a writing course, and she was talking about it as if it's obviously quite easy to say how to write a book because she'd done it so many times. And I thought, no, I. it's one of those things and I often feel like people expect us to be able to explain it. But if mm. you said to an accountant, how do you be an accountant? You just kind yeah. of do the next thing. And I always think if you want to know how to write a book, ask a debut author because when That's I'd written so one book, I had rules. I could tell yes. you how to do it. So true. And the- the more books I write, the more I think, oh, yeah, you could do it that way or that way. Or, yeah, yeah, that is actually, so true. And everyone is so different. so different. Changes from each time. That's why I always panic, and I think you do too, if someone asks me to do a writing workshop. And I'm like, I don't know how to tell you how to write a book. <laughs> I've never done it because, and I am and I will never do it now. No one ever has asked me, I don't yeah. think. <laughs> oh, sure, um, love you too. Thankfully, because I wouldn't know what to say because I can tell you now that I use Scrivener. That's one solid thing that I can say, which for those listening is a writing program, which is, is there's nothing wrong with Word. I need to say that and, first. Oh, so you haven't used Scrivener like for all your books, have you? I have not. And I've even used it for a book, say I used it for book four and then I didn't use it for book five and six and then I found it again. Caution people to think that they have to have all of the, I mean, it's inexpensive, but you don't necessarily need to have all of the things, but I find Scrivener to be a useful tool. And I guess the things that haven't changed back from the times when I was a plotter, plot out every scene to the times that I have been more of a high-level plotter because I've never been a complete pantser, I start with a plan. That gives me the confidence to dive in because mm-hmm. I think I know where this is going. I've got a direction to write towards. That's the confidence um, I want. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think perhaps that is all it is just confidence yeah. because yeah. it very rarely, if ever, has stuck with the plan that I have had planned, whether it's because it bores me or because it just gets me far enough into to to get to the next bit. But I always start writing in that direction. I always get about 25,000 words in and think, not what I plan doesn't work anymore. I'm going to try something else. Mm. I do that consistently throughout the book as I write it to the end. And when I get to the end, I already know that I have to go straight back to the beginning, pull it apart, yep. and then go in. Um, so you always minutes. write straight ahead. You never go back and fix once you realise, hang on, I'm changing track. Not unless it is, I'll go and pop notes in sometimes at different chapters. This is going to change point of view or this scene isn't going to work or whatnot. And sometimes if I'm having a little faff around, I might start to make a few changes if I've just got a few minutes left. But in general, no, because I'll lose the thrust of the book. And that's probably my biggest thing for me is that I have to write through to the end as fast as I can so I don't lose the momentum of where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you do you still do 350 word mm-hmm. sort of sprints? Do you want to say something about that quickly or how yeah. I do. I started doing this a few years back when I really lost my confidence and and it was really it was after I'd had a book rejected and I thought how do I know that I'm not going to waste my time writing another book? Yep. And I was able to muster up the courage to write 350 words and I could do it quite quickly. So I didn't judge whether they were any good. They just had to be 350 yeah. words. And I could even write, I'm a crap writer over and over again. <laughs> Get to 350. And then if you do that six or seven times a day, you know, you've got over you've got your 2,000 words. Yeah. words. And I still do it when I'm feeling scared because so much of it is getting past the fear, isn't it? Yes. My writing, it's actually quite similar. My process, I think, once we actually get started, it's mm. a matter of 
getting into the book and just writing and keeping going because I suffer a lot of doubt and anxiety as well. So I think, yeah, that's something, I feel like that's something. Yeah, a lot show of me an author that doesn't. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. There'll be a man. Yes. <laughs> I think often as well, like if it's the new authors as well, that people who are not published yet that don't suffer doubt because we haven't had all the time to all the voices in our heads now. I find like when I first wrote a book, I thought, wow, this is amazing. And it totally wasn't. That's why it got rejected <laughs> yeah. lots of times after. But I thought, I'm just so good at this. This is, I'm great. And this is fun and it's amazing. And then now I have voices in my head of all the editors I've had of the those one-star reviews, which you love reading out. And you have to work really hard to switch that off. And I think- The confidence of being a debut author. I know. <laughs> we so thought we were- <laughs> Yeah, and you think that, oh, I've written one book, so that's it. Like now it's all going to be smooth sailing. But as you said, it's not necessarily smooth sailing. It may look like it's smooth sailing. We've both had highs and lows along the way. As I said, you've had that book rejection, which I can totally understand knocking you, your confidence. And I've had, you know, sales in the US that have completely bombed, which makes you think, obviously, I'm not good enough. So it's it's something you've got to work with, don't you? And you have to move past in the best way. You can. Yeah. it's And that's so important, I think, that people don't, aspiring authors know, not in a bad way, that it is it is this up and down, all careers, I suppose, across yeah. the border, up and down, and you go through periods that, you know, you're not that great yeah. and you're not doing that well. And then it could just be one book that, you know, then makes you do much better. And, yeah, you never know, you know what's around the corner, <laughs> do you? I think you just need to really, and, you know, you talked about a bit of a down period a couple of years ago, and I definitely had that as well, probably a similar, almost a similar time in terms mm. of that the anxiety about the think, thinking about writing made me feel physically sick because I just didn't think that I had it in me. And it's so much a part of your head because, look, you've written, you know, eight brilliant selling amazing books that everyone, no one's going to love everything, are they? We know that. We don't expect everyone to love our stuff, but more people than not do. And I've written plenty of books too. And so it's it, logically you go, I must be able to do this. But that's what anxiety and doubt, it just eats you up, doesn't it? I think I can't do anything else. That's the thing as well. I have no other qualifications anymore. That will- no. We often talk for those at home about the Bunnings plan and that yes. is if Ryan fails and we're going to go get a job at Bunnings. At Bunnings. But you know what you said. I don't know anything about home care or or gardening or anything. So they're probably. No, we might have to work on the cashier or the sausages. Yes. That would be ideal. I think that the key actually, you said, do what I did. And I think that, you know, what you did as well and what everyone needs to do, the only answer is keep going. And that's what I was actually going to say keep going too. But uh, uh, there are other, I realized that the pressure of writing consistent books that pay the bills was Mm -hmm. taking the joy away from me and the pressure of thinking I'm doing reasonably well here and people like my books here but I should be doing better globally I should have a film I should why that took away the joy and so it's really important now for me to step back and remind myself that I do this because I love story and I don't want to do anything else and that's what matters yes we need both of us are professional writers so we need to we do need to earn money but I feel like when you're feeling down and out, like to me, it was to really take a step back and go, why do you do this? Yeah, go get yeah. a job at Bunnings if you don't want to do it. <laughs> but to find the joy and to, I know actually with this book, I don't know whether people will like it or, or whatever. And it does matter to me, but it almost doesn't because I had fun writing it and I found yeah. the joy again. And so that's important to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. It makes complete sense. And it is something that we have to do and it's a bigger conversation that I had briefly with Jane Harper the other night after we saw her speak because she was talking about it and I've had it with other authors like you and I who work full-time and this isn't a side hustle for us it is our career and in most of our cases we're also managing the the big financial share of the family and the idea of is it possible to be able to do that on that really pragmatic, financially viable level and also maintain that kind of the art and the creativity and the love? And I think the answer is yes. I do. I also, yeah, I do think it is. I I don't think it's easy. No. Um, But I also think that it will always look a little bit different than what we do, you, me, Jane Harper, people that do it as a full-time 
money-making job, then it will look for the person who does it on the side as a love project that is is not their livelihood. I think it is a little bit different. I because completely we, agree. Yeah. yeah, and it can sound like we're whinging and it's not. Oh. It's just that I think you have to approach it a different way and you have yep. to work. If you're doing this as a side hustle and you don't, main job is like a, something you don't like necessarily love maybe you do like it a lot of people do two things they love but yeah your writing is your side hustle and it doesn't have the pressure of earning income it's like it was when I had little kids and I wasn't a published author but I would sneak away to write if they napped or like I had my mum or husband at home and they were entertaining them and it was like my secret joy not secret joy but my special joy and it was like such a delight to go there it changes when you have to do it but it doesn't mean that you don't want to do it, you don't love it. Anyway, we could talk about that. We've gone off on a tangent. Um, a topic but I'll just quickly say, yeah, so I write very similarly, I guess. I write in sprints, not 350 words, but I find that if I've got a little timer, which I've shown on Rights for Women before, actually, that Lucy Score, who is a US author, posted about this it's from amazon and it's fabulous so it just basically if anyone's watching on youtube you can see it but if not it's got a it's a little whiteboard that i can write down a goal for the day and then i've got sprint one sprint two sprint three sprint four, oh, that's and a timer so i can leave my phone in the bedroom because otherwise i get distracted easily. Um, and so i, I can time it it's so good. It's on Amazon. You can, they're reasonably cheap. And it just means that I can do thing in half an hour. So I don't, I similar, I don't do 350, but I do half an hour. And I find yeah. if I know what I'm doing and some days, you know, more what you're doing, then I can easily write 2000 words in a four sprints. Some days it takes more time, but it really helps me focus because there's so many distractions out there. And then one thing I do, which I know you don't do, and I think it's a crazy thing to do, and I wouldn't necessarily recommend what I do. <laughs> that's my timer because I fiddled with it, is that I do. So we, we talked about the difference between Sally's and my writing in terms of drafting. Sally does multiple drafts and moves ahead, whereas I do end up writing probably only one or two drafts. This is, I want to clarify, this is before I submit to a publisher and same with you, right, Sally? You will do multiple drafts before you actually submit it to your editor. And Um, then multiple more afterwards. And same. And then I do multiple drafts with my publisher and editor. So, you know, it's not like I do no drafts and yeah, but I do, I circle back with my writing. So I will, it used to be, I think I would just, the day I sat down to write, I would read like whatever I wrote yesterday. And then you pick up little things like spelling mistakes and grammar and extra words and all that kind of stuff. But then I got in this weird habit of writing almost all the book every time when I sat down to write, which is all right when you've only written a couple of chapters because it doesn't take that long. But if you've written 100,000 words, then it takes four hours and then I feel like I've done a whole day's work when I haven't actually written a word (laughs) and I'm exhausted and I need a nap. But so I've tried to. The first time we heard you say that, Lisa and I nearly lost our minds that you would read your book every single day before you started writing. It's crazy. And I'm not a fast reader, so I should say I skim read like bits and pieces. I'll read a paragraph here and then I'll scroll a bit and read a paragraph. Not the actual whole book, but it can go through. But what I've realised is it does mean that I pick up things or that I i forgotten about. Like yeah. I've forgotten that I ent- put something in this scene and I'm meant to do something later on. And so then I go, oh, hang on. And that jars, that's not jars, it sort of jolts my memory for things that I might write about in that scene. So it works for me and it means that by the time I get to the end, I'm really over it, 100% over over the book and I just want to send it off. (laughs) But also I don't actually need to do that bigger, I might, I do a read through probably to check for inconsistencies or mistakes and stuff, but that's probably then I would do that and then send it straight off. So I guess I'm redrafting as I go. Where So we're both drafting and doing multiple drafts. It's just the way it's done. Yeah. I was about to say that you what you just described is what I do in the drafting process. Yeah. So in fact, we talk about being so different, but in fact, quite quite, and I read my book multiple times over yeah. all of those drafts. So, yeah. you know, it, it's the same process, but it's just a different, a different way, way of doing it. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of editing with this book, not your own edits, or if you want your own edits, but What kind of, was there any major big changes that had to happen in the editing process? Any arguments you had with your editor (laughs) or editors? Because you've got, explain to us a little bit, who does the editing for your book once you send it on? You've got multiple editors that you work with, haven't you? 
I do two that get it. I, my my main publisher is in America, Jen, and it used to go first to her and she would have comments and then it ended up being distributed to the other editors in the UK and Australia. But then they tended to have thoughts as well Yeah, <laughs> at that point, which is really annoying. So we now send it to all three at first and then they can weigh in and if they disagree, they can thrash it out there or do I can just weigh in with you or do you like they talk to each other first before they come to you? There has been times when there was a disagreement that I found out later that a phone conversation had gone on before it got to me. And that was where Jen had already sent her notes and then the publisher in Australia was about to send their notes but didn't want to drop a bomb yeah, um, yeah. saying disagree. So that, mm-hmm. that time there was. Yeah. I don't think that that's, I, I found out about that, but in general I think that the way it worked is that they would all reply with their comments. I would pick and choose the ones that. I liked. Yeah. Um, and unless they disagreed in general, I would work on whatever they suggested. Yeah. It's interesting because I think a lot of people think a lot of aspiring authors or new authors think that you just do everything the editor says or that the editor just changes it completely and you don't like, and it's just no. not like that at all, is it? It's a collaborative experience. But as you said, That's- it must be even more interesting when you've got you know, uh, maybe an American and Australian editor who actually think differently, are then you the deciding vote or <laughs> is Jen? Because I think she's yes. <laughs> yes. Usually the one that says that I don't have to change anything. I oh, agree with you. Yes, them. I would be the <laughs> I'm lazy and I, in rewriting it's hard. Yeah. I, I would know, they got me. Yeah, uh, yeah what editing with this book? This was probably the least, I had the least amount of edits of any book that oh, I wow, had. that's. That isn't that wonderful. <laughs> it was glorious, and there were still several, of course. Yeah, yeah, I, as there is with any book, and they were mostly go a bit deeper here. Yeah. I didn't understand that. I feel like you could have portrayed this better, yeah. as opposed to I didn't like that. Change that. Yeah, yeah. And there was a little bit of going back. I am lucky enough to have a, a police detective friend who's a soon to be author, Karen Main. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Um, she gives me that police. She reads my books. Before I didn't realise that. I've heard you had a police friend and I knew about the author, but I didn't know that was the same person. Yeah, so that was how, yeah, she and she reads my books for the police detail and mm-hmm. reminds me that not everything's an episode of Line of Duty <laughs> um, <laughs> and that things aren't plausible. So that happened too. But, no, this was glorious and fingers crossed that will happen again. But judging by the state of the work in progress that I'm working on now, I think it's unlikely. <laughs> but do you ever feel you're not the best judge of your own work? Like I feel like sometimes yeah. the books that I think oh, nailed it, which is very rare, <laughs> as we know, but I send it in and I think they're going to go, wow, this is really great, Rachel's your best. Uh, and then instead they say, this is going to require a little bit of work, which usually means actually a lot of work. And then the ones that yeah. I think, oh, my gosh, I'm embarrassed to send this, they're probably going to wonder why they're publishing me. They're like, that was really good. Here's a few changes we need to make. Well, but not, as I said, always is quite a few edits, but they're, they're lighter. Yeah. So I feel like we're never the best judge of our own work. Do you find that? Yeah, I do. Although with this book, I will say this book was a bit different to a lot of others in that I did feel like it was a reasonably tight yeah, version yeah. when I got it to them. I was happy with it, which is unusual yeah, it's for such me. such a good feeling too. I actually felt like that with this book too almost, which is bizarre. Maybe we've both had those fairy books this time around. <laughs> I'm not having that experience with the next book. It's really, uh, but this one I I said recently it was my it's my favorite book that I've written both how it turned out and also just it 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 didn't take me to some of those dark places that with my own emotions. Do you think because it's been a few years since you wrote the wonderful book that everyone wants to know about the Swingers book? Do you think you're starting to slowly recover from the anxiety that you got from that that experience? Yeah, the Swingers book was the book that was rejected and and destroyed my confidence. Part of me wants to say yes, and then that makes me anxious because I think maybe I'm due another. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, yep. <laughs> and, you know, what we know, someone said to me in an interview, what have you learned from that experience yep. and how could what kind of advice would you have to an author to stop that from happening? And yep. I said, honestly, I've learned nothing yeah. and I don't know how to, how I could stop it from happening if again. If you did, you felt more comfortable. <laughs> 
Yeah, like, in fact, I will say that if I keep writing books for the rest of my life, which is the plan, this will happen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't want to book out there. I mean, you trust your publishers and stuff. Like, I've always said that, please, if it really is terrible, please tell me. Although I'm sure yours wasn't terrible, I'm sure. But, yeah, so I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's really interesting. This one, actually, because I went quite dark, um, in the first version, it, there's elements of darkness, but I had actually, I can't say this and it's, I can't say the old name, but Munchausen by proxy, is that right? And it's now factitious disorder by proxy or whatever. I actually had that the main character, Deb, had that happen to her as a child, like her mum was, and her mum went to jail for it. And I did a lot of research. It's very hard to, you know, for anyone to go to jail for it and blah, blah. But they, I had it. And that was one of the things they were like, because there's other elements in there, which I don't want to give away because that's quite dark, but domestic abuse and some things that happen. And they were like, this poor woman, (laughs) she's just had too much go on to her. And maybe, maybe she doesn't need that huge dark childhood. Maybe she just needs the experience she's had with an ex, but also maybe her mum just left with her with her dad and she felt. So I've got a quote on my wall, actually, that I heard um, Emily Henry say on a podcast. And I think this really made me go, yeah, she's so right. And that my editor, when they said that, I was like, yeah, although I did all that research and I like that angle, you're right. And it was, it's not how big the stakes are, it's how personal they are. And I think I'm like, oh, I'm just going to throw all this dark, horrible stuff that has happened to me. And we don't necessarily have to do that all the time. So that was a real big lesson for me in that one. You know, I just, I read something, I think it was on Burke Harrell's Instagram that was in a similar vein, more crimey, and I'm going to get wrong, but it said something like, it's not more bodies, it's more impact or something like yeah, it was that yes, the one body counts yeah. and it's kind of you exactly know, I think same. sometimes we just try and because we're worried about we want to keep people's attention we want people to be interested and so we just keep throwing stuff at it whereas mm. sometimes that I'll keep it simple choose a few things really to focus on and make them impactful and deep yeah I'm probably there was yeah. probably a couple of other things oh this book you'll laugh at this Sally so one of the things, readers, listeners, Sally and I have a, we haven't really talked about this, but one of us is more of an overwriter and one of us is more of an underwriter. And we've joked about before being slightly jealous of, so my books are typically at least 130,000 words. And I've realized I get sick of writing at 100,000. And that's when I'm just so over it. I get cranky and grumpy. So if only I can write a 100,000 word book, I think I'd just be such a happier person and a better person to live with. <laughs> but, and Sally, what's your average kind of book length? Oh, 80, but it actually, you know, I tend to come up short and I've even had some around 60,000 and then I've had to, because obviously that's true and I yeah, build yeah. it up. But, yeah, we often joke that I need to get, you can give me some of your Yeah, if we could just like put some of my waffle into Sally's and pat it out, then you'd be perfect. But the funny like a, thing is. like a boob job that yes. they, and actually we could do this too, where they take some of your boobs and put them into mine. You know, <laughs> yeah, but you can have words <laughs> and boobs. There we go. I'm just a waffler, which is probably why the podcasts get too long. This book, The Work Wives, I think it was 173,000 words in my first draft. I know. What? What is it now? It's only 128 or something, I think. Like it really got really cut down and it needed to. I waffled a lot. But I just thought, why do I have to write that? Why do I have to do that (laughs) to get? It just really annoys me. But a lot of that was office scenes and more things Mm -hmm. going on in the office. And that because I suppose because I chose to title The Work Wives, I thought it was a book I should be focusing on that sort of stuff. And in the end, we actually had a bit of a discussion about whether the, the book should be called The Work Wives because really it's not about the office. It's more about their friendship and it's about mother-daughter relationship. And you know, you know how books just change, can change a lot from how. So it wasn't necessarily the book that I pitched to them. And I have had a review already. I see that they think they were getting something else. But we did discuss a lot about the title and go, look, although it's, it is about work wives, even though, so I think it's still okay and we couldn't come up with a better title. But that was oh, one of the I- things, a lot of cutting. Yeah, and perhaps on a, on too much of a pragmatic level, the, the book, the title just needs to make someone pick it up, doesn't it? True, then- yeah. It's a con. So I was going to say, was, your, was this your working title? Very fancy packaging. No, yeah. it was not. And it was the subject of great debate because I called it the cliff when I wrote it. Yes, I remember you mentioning that like a while ago, yeah. 
which I wasn't necessarily wedded to, but it, it, the whole book is set on this cliff and the cliffs yeah. are significant to the plot, but also like on a deeper level and, and marriage yeah. it's about kind of going over the cliff. And, yeah. um, and I, as I said, I guess because I wasn't necessarily wedded to it, the American publishers liked it and were happy to go ahead. The Australian publishers didn't like it. And it was one of those kind of, there was back and forth and I was just a voyeur just waiting to see <laughs> yeah. if they would agree. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a bit of hullabaloo and there was some other titles bandied around, which I did not like. And at one point it looked as though we were going to have two titles. In, in oh, which would be titles. so horrible. I'd, that would just be terrible, wouldn't it? I like to think that I have a good reputation as being a nice, easygoing author, but I cracked it. Fair enough. I think so because that just really annoy readers. No. They'll buy both, I, especially in our global world. They'll end up buying both and then be annoyed. It's actually, I'll be bad. But yeah, I, good for you. But they're not because you'll also get all the emails and the Facebook messages and the Instagram saying you conned me. I've bought two of your books. <laughs> Even though but I was picturing all of the emails, and I said I. Mm-hmm. You guys have having this idea. I'm going to be the one that gets the emails. It's complicated enough because it releases at two different times in two different countries, one title, and the soulmate was the one that everyone liked. And look, I like that there is that while soulmate obviously means the the marriage relationship and the love, but also the souls that come to the cliff and and the soul of the woman who went over there. So it has a bit of a double interest. I think the soulmate is such a great title for the book. Like when I read it at the end, it really, without giving any spoilers away, it really resonates. So I think, yeah, I'm glad that you got that title in the end and it goes well with all your other, your other books. Yeah. I just think it's good that it's got a dark kind of sinister looking cover because otherwise (laughs) People might think they were getting a com with the soulmate and they might be a little bit freaked out in the first chapter. <laughs> that is so true. Oh, we're probably almost up to the end of this discussion. I think we could talk, I could talk to you about this for hours. <laughs> People are probably sick of our voices by now. But you mentioned the acknowledgements earlier on and how I can't even remember what you said about the acknowledgement, oh, about the husbands and the, oh, yeah. this is the, how do you feel about writing acknowledgements? Like I love reading them, but are you like, do you love writing acknowledgements or do you find them a bit stressful because you're scared of getting the wrong people? Or, and also the more you write, I find it's hard to be original in them. I know. I've changed my stance on it. I have noticed that a lot of authors stress about forgetting people in their acknowledgements and I have never done that. Yeah. I've never stressed about it because I'm probably, I don't know, a little bit too self-involved or something. <laughs> I have, and I have yeah, left people smart to do. Yeah, yeah. It's always another book that they can get thanked in. So I don't really worry about that. I do think it's not very original. I thanked the same people last yeah, year. I've seen general. that as well. I like, and I'm like, and I'm, when I read someone's amazing acknowledgements, I'm like, yeah. yeah, how did they do that? So I guess over the last couple of books, what I have done, which I have enjoyed more, is made it a little bit more of a storytelling yeah. about about the inspiration in how I started. I yeah. told the intro into the thank yous by saying this is where the book idea came yeah, from. That's a great idea. And, you know, these are all the people. And I think I did it with the last one. And, and in a way, that almost feels like the moment I write those, that little, you know, vignette or whatever, it, it leads me into the publication. I'm getting my head, I'm approaching publication yeah. time. Yep. We're about to go and promote it. And I've just done a little bit of a summary of my feelings on it and thanked the people who were involved. So it's almost a rite of passage. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, yeah, it's a ritual. I'm similar in that now, because there's so many people I talk to on a day-to-day or weekly basis or occasionally, like a lot of people that I love in my in the writing community. And I can't yeah. thank everyone because I then yeah. I'd, it'd be like, and, and they're not necessarily for that particular book. So now I'm a bit like you too. It's like people who have actually done something on that book because, yeah, it just gets, it can get ridiculously long as well. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be thanking the, the high school teacher that you had who gave you the, um, <laughs> whatever and your cousin's dog for giving you a hug when you needed to, when you were feeling anxious. <laughs> I know, I'm thinking about thanking Judge Judy for entertaining me every afternoon as I've been working through my edits because I she deserves that. More because then maybe we'll get a copy and I don't know, she's a bit scary. Like, <laughs> I know she may not like it. Well, well just a, a couple little little short questions. Snacks while you're writing, do you have any or drinks? Yeah, as, look. For those of you at home, Rachel okay. and my dirty pleasure. Is that what it's called? That makes it sound. Yeah, it does. <laughs> 
Um, and I really enjoy one of an afternoon. Are you going to say the same? Yeah. And do you know what? I think there's a lot of authors, a lot of authors I know drink Diet Coke and the ones that do seem to be doing reasonably well. So I think we stick with it. I have no I plans to so change. Too. Um, I've noticed that too. Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? I'm pretty sure Nora Roberts drinks Diet Coke. Anyway. Yeah, she does. Yeah. So quickly, two more things. What's the thing you love most about writing? First draft. First draft. Uh, I love yeah, and that alone time in the cave because yeah, yeah. As people talk about writing being solitary but publishing is not. It's collaborative yeah. and we spend a lot of, especially you and I, a book a year or two books a year, we spend a lot of time actually out yeah. there in the world. Yeah. And so I'm in the cave and that first draft where plans are cancelled and it's just you, I love that bit. That's my yeah. favourite. Yeah, and there's all that potential <laughs> still. I I have... And you haven't ruined it yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I should have thought of my own answer since I'm asking you yeah. the question. <laughs> but, but I don't know. I think, I think it's probably the same because I like beginnings as well. Yeah. I really that sort of, I find it, I know a lot of authors say they, they write faster towards the end. I'm actually not like that. I write much more quicker in the beginning, more quicker. I can't speak properly. Yeah. But, yeah, so I love the writing process. No, I love having written. I love looking back on the stuff. Yeah, I think, and that's the part of it. And then, of course, the exciting part is seeing the cover, but that's not actually the writing process. Yeah. What's the thing you hate most about writing or the whole book world? Oh, good question. Most people say review, bad reviews, mm. but I love that. Yeah, I mean, I think we discovered that a few years ago when we were all, like with Lisa on tour that, and we decided to share some, and then you've done that now as well on your Insta. It, it's when you have fun with them. When you, if you're reading them alone by yourself in your office on a bad day when you're already feeling full of doubt, they're not great. But when you share them with a friend or readers who love your stuff, then suddenly it's just fun. They think that that's quite funny. And you've, we've had some great ones. I never get over. If anyone hasn't heard your best one, can you, I'm sure you remember it. If not, can we share well, your there's been quite a few, but one of the best ones was someone said, I have gone through my life yeah. <laughs> to this point wondering what it's all about. What is the purpose of life? What am I doing here? And after reading Sally Hepworth's book, I discovered my purpose <laughs> in life is to warn other people not to read this book. <laughs> <laughs> just like and that's the best review ever but it is I think I just want to say to to aspiring authors or or authors new in their career they they can hurt of course they can but I encourage you to get a sense of humor about it not just for those ones but for the whole career ahead which as we said will have ups and downs and at the end of the day one star reviews aren't going to hurt you your career or your you physically everyone gets them yeah if you can just have a laugh or not look at them then do that and just know that it's just part of it I agree and when you said not look at them like I used to look at them all the time but now I'm a bit bit more aware of my own emotions and I know sometimes maybe now is not a good time to go oh it's worse the three star ones that rave about why didn't you give me five stars if you loved it that much Oh, they're really annoying. That's true. But the yeah. other one is the three-star review that gives you a really fair assessment. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, and you're like, I agree. This book had a lot of potential to really be five stars, but they just let it go by waffling yeah. on or yeah. including many things or something and you think, shit, they're right. Yes. Fuck up. And, and that nice. makes me more annoyed than someone who said that I gave purpose to their life. I completely agree. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> that's so true. We should finish on a high note. Oh, I know we'll finish on. Instead Ooh, okay. of the one-star reviews, I would say though as well, more thing on reviews because it is something that everyone deals with in publishing and it's something that people will have to deal with if they're going to get into publishing. Isn't it funny how you remember the one-star or the three-star that tells you you know exactly what you did wrong yet usually the five stars and the four stars do outweigh and I always think why do those people that don't like my book why do I let them matter than the other people who do like Julia Roberts said in Pretty Woman the bad stuff's easier to believe (laughs) so true (laughs) very true all right well one more thing before we end we've got four minutes to go so a quick spiel about what's next for you I am just finishing up, I hope, my next year's book, 
if you're in Australia. Hopefully it'll come out kind of October next year. Currently it's called The Lucky Ladies. I don't know if that will Is it about lottery? No, it is about family dysfunctionality once again, and this time it is foster sisters, three women who grew up together in foster care and they parked back to, they're now adults, and they are sent back to the little town where they grew up to speak to the police when a body of a baby is found buried under the home where they grew up in foster care. Oh, my Uh, goodness. Can I read it now? (laughs) No, and you definitely don't want to read it now because (laughs) it's in a few different pieces. But, uh, yeah, once again, you'll get the the murder and the relationships and the... Dark humor and all of those. Sounds things. fantastic. As I said, can't wait Thank for you. That what one. about you? What's coming up next? Um, week? have just finished, submitted what was called the reinvention of Adeline Walsh, which is semi linked to two of my real romances, but it probably will get a change of title to be a talk title. I love that title. I like it too, but it's linked to talk of the town and something to talk about. We probably need to keep it in the thing. And it's a nasty character that I wrote a villain years ago and never planned on writing. <laughs> why she was bad which I really need to if I'm going to write bad people actually make a reason so then I suddenly thought how am I going to redeem her I can't do it I did it a few years ago in another book can't do the same thing and one day I was thinking about the thorn birds and how there's priests in Fleabag and the thorn birds I was like do we have romance with nuns so I made Adeline join a convent which required a little bit of (laughs) research and the hero is an atheist who has very good reasons for hating religion so yeah that's what I've just finished so a nun and an atheist romance (laughs) I'm in I love that oh my goodness it's lots of fun to write he's not a hot no hot priests just hot hot (laughs) I was just thinking from sleep there's a maybe hot nun but yeah she's very hot yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Sally. It, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. And I hope that all of the Rights for Women listeners get something out of our little insight into our writing process. And so great yeah, good luck with the new book. I know it's going to sell like hotcakes. Yeah. We See shall you on the road. Definitely. Hopefully we cross paths at some stage. Just I hope so. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon, and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4WPodcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women. Find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Have a great week, and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. (laughs) 